that as, as the morning progresses here, as we, we get on. But our goal is, through educators and schools, to take the good news of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. But I want to begin by a second by talking about something that's happened more recently. How many of you watched some part of the royal wedding yesterday? All right, a lot of you, okay. I'm glad I'm not the only Anglophile. You may have been watching to see if Harry was going to shave the beard or if the queen was going to wear green or not. Um, But wouldn't it have been really cool had you been invited? Had you have gotten to be there? Wouldn't that have been to actually be sitting there and maybe you ladies could have worn a funny big hat or something that blocked the view of the people behind you? How would you have felt, though, if you found out today that you'd been sent an invitation, but it just arrived in the mail tomorrow, and you didn't get it in time, and you didn't get to go? You'd be disappointed, wouldn't you? It made me think as I was watching a little bit of the wedding yesterday, who does the Lord want us to receive his invitation of love and forgiveness? No guilt in life, no fear in death, we just sang. The Lord loves each one of us and wants us to be completely forgiven and to know how much he deeply loves us. Who does he in the world want to receive this invitation of love and forgiveness that's out there? This morning, we're just going to talk about some very basic verses. I realize in a church as well taught as you are, nothing new is going to happen. But I hope this is going to be a reminder of what's really important and of the hope that's within us and what we have the privilege of being a part of. Everyone knows John 3.16. For God so loved the world, the entire world, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And then Peter tells us that God is not wishing that any should perish but desire that all should reach repentance. Recently, Barna Research asked U.S. churchgoer this question. So I'm going to ask you the question. Have you previously heard of the Great Commission and you can define what it is? And you may be surprised, or maybe not, that only 17% of U.S. churchgoers could give some sort of definition of what the Great Commission was. Now, I realize that number is significantly higher in this building, in this service right now. But it's just critical, I think, that we recognize what it is that God has called us to do. The Great Commission is found in the end of the Gospel of Matthew, verses 19 and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It has always been God's heart that everyone in the entire world would hear of his love and forgiveness. And as he was about to ascend to heaven in his resurrected body, he gave us this commission to go forward 
And his strategy to see this happen was multiplying discipleship by making disciples, pouring your life into another so that they could go on and reach another. And that was his simple plan to reach the world. So, we clearly know that he sent us, but we often act like it's a puzzle of how he wants us to do it or where we should go. The scope of his heart is the ends of the earth. In Isaiah, as we were just singing, I mean, reading this morning, several times, Isaiah talks about this. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Later on in Isaiah 49, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Now, if we were reading this in the context, this is the part of Isaiah that's talking about the suffering servant, this messianic prophecy of the Messiah who is going to come, of Jesus who is going to come, and he would be a light for the nations so that his salvation would reach to the ends of the earth. It has been the plan from the beginning that it would not stay in one place, that it would spread and it would go someplace else. This is picked up by Paul in the book of Acts. I think you're teaching through this right now. I don't know if you've been to Acts 13 yet. Um, but Paul was saying, For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, notice the pronoun that's right there. In Isaiah 49, the light was the suffering servant, was Jesus. Who is the light in this verse? Yes, well, Paul, but, and by correlation, us. For the Lord has commanded us, saying, I've made you. I've made each one of you sitting out there who knows Jesus Christ personally to be a light so that salvation may go to the ends of the earth. I like to think of the moon. At night, do you see the moon shining? At night, does the moon really shine? When you look up and see the moon and see it shining, what are you seeing? You're seeing the sun. So that whenever the sun's on the other side of the earth and we can't see the sun, but we can see the moon, and so we see the sun through the moon. And so, what's a little different for us, we're not actually reflecting the love of Christ. We actually have the light of Jesus Christ within us that's shining forth from us. So when people can't see Jesus, they can see us. And we have this privilege of reflecting, of shining this light so that everyone could know him. God's call for us, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. And then the next chapter is the day of Pentecost, which we're remembering this week in our church calendar. But notice the scope of this. Even though at the time, in Acts 1, there's really just a small number of believers that have gathered, and they're primarily just in Jerusalem. And yet they're being told that they're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, which is the city they're in, and Judea, the region around them, Samaria, the region kind of next door, but all the way to the ends of the earth. He wants it to get 
everywhere, to everyone along the way. Not just to the last person, but everywhere in between. God wants his invitation of love and forgiveness to be made to every person on the earth. What brings us back to the question then? It's not a puzzle where we should go. He's called us to go to the ends of the earth. But the question is, how can we reach the ends of the earth? Um, That little marker there um, is at a place called Salakard, which is in so remote in northern Russia that in the indigenous inhabitants of the Yamal Peninsula use the word ends of the world to name this place. So often we'll talk about how is the light going to get to that place, that remote, up in the end of the ends of the earth? How is the gospel ever going to get to there? I like to talk about, in what we do, the Great Commission like a pie. And you know how you slice your pie up? Our slice of the Great Commission pie our teachers in schools, our educators. You may ask, why that portion? Why do we feel that that part is so significant? In ancient society and modern society, the center of a community was the well. People came for water. See, I have to explain this to most churches, but I don't need to here because you actually have a well out in your lobby. You know exactly the importance of a well. In modern society, it is the teacher that is at the center of that well that's there, the center of society. If you think that doesn't really reflect the North Shore, I'm remembered, I think many of you know Lawrence and Kate Klaus. I remember when Lawrence started to date Kate Simpson. And Kate went to a different church, and Lawrence had been going here for years. And I remember talking to him the first week that he came with Kate to church. And everyone in church came up and knew Kate. And he goes, he goes, I've been coming for 10 years, and yet she knows everyone. Why did everyone know Kate? She was a school teacher, and she taught everyone's children. And that school was the center, really, of the society that was there. It's why I'm very proud that both my children are teachers. In fact, um, I'm very proud that my son is also a missionary of this church. I now, even though I lived the majority of my adult life in St. Petersburg, Russia, when I go back to St. Petersburg now, because my son is a teacher in the school, I am Mr. Christian. Oh, you're Mr. Christian's father. Because the school is the center of what goes on in a society. And in every town, village, around the world, there is a school. By the way, we're very proud of David, very proud of both our children. He is an incredible teacher. He's an incredible evangelist, incredible Bible teacher. The way he relates to young people and shares the love of Christ with them, um, far better than I ever was able to do. I just am not, you know, I I encourage you, I affirm you for supporting such a wonderful missionary in, in David. The vision of IS, well, okay, I go back to my, this was my slice of the Great Commission. 
except I would cut my pie different because schools and teachers are the center of society. So actually, I would take out the middle piece of the pie because if you reach a school, you're going to affect everyone and influence all of society. So actually, I would, draw, I would cut up my pie a little different like that. ISP's vision, the International School Project, which is a Ministry of Campus Crusade, although we were a quiet Ministry of Campus Crusade because of the parts of the world that we work in, our vision is in every school, in every city, town, and village, a group of Christ-directed teachers, spiritually influencing students, colleagues, parents, communities, and spreading the vision to reach their nation. Our goal, into every last village, there would be a teacher who's following Christ, dispensing the water of life to those who are thirsty, and through that, fulfilling the Great Commission and seeing the gospel going to the ends of the earth. Multiplication is important because how are we actually going to get there otherwise? This is a map of Russia, and we often think about this as an example. How are we going to get a group of teachers in each of the 70,000 schools across Russia? 49,000 of those in rural, remote areas. We talk about what's it take to get there to reach everyone. The secret we have found is by building teachers' movements. A teachers' movement is a partnership of Christ-directed educators who join together to impact their nation through the life-transforming power of the gospel of Christ and by reaching and equipping those in the educational community. So within every school, you have a few Christian teachers who are reaching the other teachers and their students and then through them reaching out to other places. The International School Project is so clearly a work of God and not of men. We can't begin to take credit for what's happening. Because what we are seeing is around the world, you have teachers who are using some tools we give them, but really just letting the love of Christ shine through them seeking to bring character and moral education into the school by a Christian foundation. And as a result, lives are changed. Lives of teachers, of students, of colleagues, of administrators, of parents. And it makes such a big difference. Other schools in the town see it and they say, what are you doing over there? And it just naturally spreads. And it's just organically spreading across countries, moving from place to place. This, is a, this was in Bisk in Russia. And in this, you know, the, the picture on the left, there was just um, a meeting of these teachers, and it was an educational meeting talking about the importance of instilling morals and character education to children. And this, this non-believing woman stands up, and what she's saying here is, yes. But where will we find those values to teach our children? Where do we find the values? And you can see right behind her, the woman smiling great big is named Lena. Lena's a Christian teacher. And she knows where to find the values to teach them. And so she was able to pull her aside and meet with her privately and explain to her that the scriptures, what God has given us, 
are the secret to find these morals and characters that you want to teach to your children around the world. And then, when you reach the teachers, the teachers reach the students and students' families. That's a picture of a woman named Tamar in Nizhny Novgorod um, and what she's doing. Multiplication allows us to reach more people. So, you can train a teacher to reach students who will affect society in the future, but also, when you train that teacher to reach other teachers who will multiply and reach even more students in what they're doing. So the secret to this is not just training teachers to talk to their children, but to actually spread out and reach other teachers along the way. More disciples, more children reached. It's one of the reasons why... um, the ministry of the National School Project has been so successful. We have ourselves trained over 100,000 teachers around the world, but those teachers have multiplied to others. This resulted in reaching about 30 to 40 million children and millions every year because the teachers are there reaching all of their students every year and passing that on to one other teacher every year. And then it just spreads and spreads and spreads. So the voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the earth. I'm going to go back to Salakard, the ends of the earth in Russia. You know, this place is so far north that nine to ten months of the year, the only way out is to drive across the frozen lake and rivers. And then the other two months, you have to have a helicopter to get out to get that's there. Two years ago, Jory and I are at a conference in Moscow, and we're talking about reaching the ends of the earth, and they're, they're dividing up places to go, and all the people start laughing. And I'm not under sure why they're laughing. And then they tell me about Salakard, and you know who's sitting right about over there, a, a, a principal and a teacher? From Salakard, who'd heard about this and had come to the training. And so... They joke, the gospel has gone to the ends of the earth in Russia. And then, just last month, even north of Salakard is another location called Libitnangi. And there's a principal named Yulia, and she'd been waiting to get, but she was not, it's not easy to get across. She finally was able to get across the frozen river and come to a training, and now she's spread it even beyond the ends of the earth. So it's, it's very, very exciting to see what's happening. Um, I'm going to tell you just a few stories about how this is happening. Natasha Grishenko is a delightful young woman. She's a teacher in Krasnoyarsk, and she has a passion um, to see her, 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 her city of Krasnoyarsk and all of Siberia reached with the gospel. Three years ago, she began to pray about how she could reach all of Siberia. Just one teacher. How is this possible? How could she do this? So she was looking for a way to do this. Um, we had, they had put on a number of conferences. We have one of our curriculum is called Dream Maker, Dream Breakers, which is a curriculum we have for elementary and secondary students, which help them dream dreams. And how we talk a lot about an iceberg. You know how the majority of an iceberg is underwater? And the top part, the visible portion, is the visible, and the bottom parts are the invisible. And as a teacher or as a parent... 
You can just focus on the top part and tell the child, stop it, stop it, stop it. How many times do you have to say that? Over and over again, it doesn't really eventually work. Underneath that, though, are values and beliefs. If you can, you can change values and beliefs and motivations, then they will change the actions of what they're doing. So we have these conferences that train teachers to do this by instilling Christian values. And she had done this, but there weren't enough. She still wasn't seeing the long-lasting efforts. So she decided she wanted to put on a retreat. And so she began to look for other Christian teachers throughout Siberia, and she invited them in and trained them um, to do this. The, the top left map is the one she made after her first time. As she brought in teachers from different cities and gave it to them, they then took it back to their cities. And then from there, they've spread to 15 new ones. And every year, it's just because everywhere it goes, it's making such a difference that even in Russia, so many people are coming to faith and lives are being changed that it's spreading and spreading and spreading. Uh, we work in Albania. It's a very hard ground, Muslim world. And for a number of years, we were doing these conferences, and then we started to form these teacher communities where they came in together. Now, the man you see be seen baptized there, his name is Inver. And initially, he was the one who got us into Albania because he knew the deputy minister of education. Inver was not a believer, but he cared a lot about the kids of Albania in the schools, and he wanted to see them you know, someone to address these character and moral issues. That was the draw, and he got us in there. And then he would invite all kinds of teachers to our conferences. Well, after several years, he gave his life to Christ. And what you see there, his son having the privilege of baptizing his father. It was a very moving, powerful day. Um, and just in the last two years, we've seen... 81 teachers that we know of from the majority religion there in Albania give their lives to Christ. And every one of those teachers then reaches their students every year. And they're expanding now. It's spread to other cities across Albania um, as it keeps going and going and going. Um, it's a map of the Ukraine. These are pictures of some of our key teachers. Um, our organization is primarily volunteer-driven. doesn't use a lot of missionaries that have to raise support, a lot of Western money, but it's teachers being trained to have an influence in their school and for its spread. So these are the key leaders we have across Ukraine who spearhead the ministry. And that's a picture of when we just one-on-one -on -one discipleship of what they're doing, training one at a time to reach on. Um, this past, well year before last now, it's been a little over a year, we had the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. I don't know if you celebrated that here at all or talked about it. You probably did. The president of Ukraine announced that he wanted every school in the Ukraine to be taught about the Reformation. Now, the teachers knew nothing about the Reformation. So what are they going to do? So... We happened to have a couple of people who knew a lot about the Reformation, and my wife Joy and her brother John, who's at Yale. And so they went over, and they put on a training for teachers from every region of Ukraine about the Reformation and how to teach it to the students, including the role of the Reformation in personal faith. And through that, then the gospel went out to every school throughout Ukraine. 
just very thrilling, the doors that are opening through the schools to see a country reached. Mongolia. Um, at the time of communism, there were probably only 10 to 20 known believers in Mongolia. And now there are 60 to 70,000 with hundreds of churches. Missiologists will tell you, if you read those books that talk about missions and the things, that one of the primary forces to see that conversion of so many in Mongolia is the teachers' movement. Because they started with the kids in the schools, reaching teachers, training teachers to reach other teachers, and it's just spread throughout that country, planting churches, reaching students and parents um, throughout that's there. Um, I just returned from Cambodia, just spent a few weeks there, thrilling what the Lord is doing in Cambodia. The education in Cambodia is in a very difficult place. From 75 to 79, under Pol Pot, the Khmer Rouge killed all the literate people, about a fifth of the population. So they had to rebuild the education system almost with no literacy in the country. So in our meetings, we through some different contexts, we got introduced to the Minister of Education. We spent some significant time talking with the Secretary of State. In fact, he um, was there to introduce our conferences. Um, and they've allowed us to come in and partner with them to train all the teachers in the country. How do you teach morals and character in the midst of what you're teaching in the schools beyond the academics that are there? In fact, this was just a few weeks ago. Um, we introduced the conference, which was in the main uh, meeting room in the Ministry of Education. And the Secretary of State introduced it, and then I gave some words of introduction. And then the Secretary of State was going to quickly run off like politicians do to go do their other things. Um, and I didn't expect to see him again. About an hour later, I see him sitting in the front row. And at the break, the, the, his aide came up and whispered in my ear, I don't know what just happened, but he just canceled all of his meetings for the day because he's so intrigued by what you're doing. One thing we do in our conferences is we make something called a life map, where you take a piece of paper and, and you draw out your life history. And the major, not just the events, but major decisions, major events that have made you who you are. And then you share it with each other and what you're doing. Now, it's a great way for a Christian to talk about their testimony. And so the Minister of Education, he wasn't actually in a group. Our, our conferences are not sitting like you're sitting now. They'd all be in little small groups with a Christian facilitator in the groups. So at the conclusion of it, you know, when he came back to, to give the final words at the end of the three days, he said, this was so great, but I didn't get to hear any. I'd like to hear a couple life map stories. Now, like all good Cambodians, no one is going to raise their hand and volunteer themselves to come up to this high government official and share. So I had to step up and ask the small group facilitators, can you point out a couple people who had good life maps that could come up and do this? And of course, our Christian small group facilitators pointed to the Christians. And so we brought a couple Christians up. And they went up and then in front of everyone, in addition to what we'd shared in the conference, shared their testimony. And the Minister of Education was just standing here and the Secretary, he was actually the Secretary of State, fascinated by this. I went back in the next day with um, my Cambodian International School Project Director to talk about the future. 
And honestly, I was not sure what was going to happen because this is, you know, a Buddhist country and we had been very bold in not just teaching morals and character but explaining that those come, you know, ultimately in the best way through a changed life through Jesus Christ. And the response we got, we want you in every school in our entire country as soon as you can get there. And so now we're making plans to keep going and training others to go back and do this. Oh, Ecuador. Been down to Ecuador a couple times this spring already. Um, the man you see there is Santiago. He is a principal, a Christian man who is principal of a school. He came to our first conference in Quito, absolutely loved it, went back, integrated this system throughout his entire school so that they were using this and making sure they were sharing the love of Christ with every student. And then we were back another year later meeting with him, and Santiago came up to me because he had to make a confession. He said, at first I was selfish, and I just thought about how this could help me in my school. Now I realize I need to think about how to reach my whole country. He told me that it happened one day. He, he goes to school on his little scooter, which is in Ecuador, in Quito. Many of them don't really have cars as much as little scooters. And as he was riding from his apartment to his school, he went by and he noticed, oh, look, there's an elementary school. I wonder who's telling them. Oh, there's a secondary school. I wonder who's telling them. Another elementary school. And just driving from his house to his school, he saw all these other schools and all these other children. And he realized that his Lord wanted every child to have an opportunity to hear. In the International School Project, we rejoice in every good decision a young person makes to make a good choice when it comes to avoiding some of the dangerous things out there in alcohol and drugs and choosing good character traits. But we want them to know Christ and not just those students. I believe our Lord's heart and his passion was everyone got to hear. So while we rejoice in everyone who hears, we're not satisfied until... It's everywhere because we believe that's the commission the Lord's given us to do. And I want to make sure you don't misunderstand this commission of our Lord. It's, I don't take it as obligation. I take it as privilege. I was asked one time by a small child, what was the favorite part of my job? Excellent question. Downstairs, I give you the best questions. The hardest questions come from the children. And I had to stop and think. And I said, the favorite part of my job is when you're with someone and you see them wrestling in their soul and you know there's this spiritual battle that's taking place for their soul and you're just watching them when they decide to give their life to Christ and you just see this transformation. Not that we did anything. You're just watching God do the miraculous and change a person's life. What a privilege that is to get to do that. And God's desire is that everyone would want to be there. We also work extensively across the Middle East. Um, I can't mention the country names that are there, but you would be amazed. Um, I have sat with ministers of education in Muslim countries, and they go through our curriculum, and their finger goes down in the Bible verses, which they don't like, and they will want us to, okay, we want you to come, we need you to come, but you have to take all of this Christian stuff. And we just say we can't, you know. 
because it just takes the power away if we do. Because that's the, you've got to go after the values and beliefs, not just the actions. And I'm just sure they're going to kick me out and send me away. And they somehow allow us to come in. Your prayers are being heard. Because they care so much and they see that this program is working, they're willing to allow that to come. You know, the, the picture where you're seeing is from a playground and it's looking out on a, um, a Hezbollah neighborhood and this school is in the midst of it, um, in the midst of where that is. And yet in those schools now are Christian teachers who are sharing the love of Christ. In January, Joy and I um, were in a school in one of these Middle Eastern countries and I was given a presentation in an Arabic language class. And they had been using our curriculum. And one thing that I do as the leader of the organization, I go back and make sure that they're actually you know, using it well, and not just the moral parts, but the spiritual parts, and trying to discern if that's happening. And after you know, I'd made this little you know, class with a few minutes left for questions, fifth grade boy raises his hand. First question. Because he'd been reading the curriculum, they'd been teaching, he said, have you ever received Christ as your Savior? And I stopped and I looked back to the back of the room to the Arabic teacher. And I said, look, am I allowed to answer that question or not? I want to respect, you know, what I'm allowed to do. And she says, I'd like to hear the answer. I think they would too. And we were able to give our testimonies of how our lives had been changed and what the Lord was doing. Um, the woman talking to Joy in the bottom left, um, her name is Alice, and there's 180 teachers in her um, school, which is a traditional Muslim school in this, in this Middle Eastern city, and she's one of five believers who are there. But she has made such a difference in the school that the principal tells me that when there's a problem, I send the children to Alice. Because Alice is the one who has answers who can help them. Pray for Alice in what she's doing and where she's going. I'm running out of time. I could talk about Kenya and I could talk about southern and western Africa and what's happening, how we started in one county and now it's spread to 11 counties. Um, and we just put on one conference and trained them and now they've trained far more as it just keeps spreading and spreading and spreading everywhere it goes. When Joy and I started our ministry, this verse from the end of Paul really was our call. And thus we made it our ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already been named, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him shall see, and those who have never heard will understand. We started our ministry with the desire to take the gospel to people who had not heard it before so that everyone had an opportunity to hear all the way to the ends of the earth. That's what excites me about the Great Commission, why we're so excited about working with teachers, is because it's a way that this can happen where it can get there. And I can't stress enough that behind everything that we're doing... It's a movement of prayer that's happening before us. I often tell people, almost every week I see something that I, 
I hate to call it miraculous because it just it sounds over the top, but I have no other definition for it. The Lord does things that we just can't have other ex- reason to understand what's happening and opportunities and open doors and changed lives that come that are coming as a result of prayer um, for us. And I was asked to share a story by one of you that's out there. And so some of you have heard this before, but I'm going to tell it again because they felt it was a great encouragement to them. This story goes way back in time. Um, Joy and I were living in St. Petersburg, Russia. Um, the Soviet Union had just collapsed, and we were now, it was now becoming Russia. Um, our son David um, was one, and Joy was pregnant with Laura. Um, and these were the times when things were just incredibly open in the Soviet Union and Russia. Um, and so I was pretty much every evening um, speaking somewhere evangelistically or doing something in a dormitory or something in university ministry. And one afternoon I got a call. And I pick up the phone, and a very angry Russian man was yelling into the phone. And I did not understand what he was saying. So I told him, I'm sorry, I don't understand. I think you've got the wrong number, and I hung up. The phone rings right back again. Same man, still yelling. Once more, I said, I'm sorry, I, I just don't understand you. I'm, I don't think I know you. I think you've got the wrong number. And I hung up. He called back again. Now, I hated having to do this, but Joy's Russian has always been better than mine. In fact, every language she speaks, we speak, she speaks better than I do. And I says, Joy, I hate to make you have to speak to a yelling Russian man, but we might need to know what he's saying. So I handed the phone to Joy. And essentially what he said was, I know what you're doing, and we are going to do things to you if you don't stop. And now, the way they did the phones back then, the phone stayed with the apartments. If you had someone's number, they're all just lined up. If you have a phone number, you know where someone lives. So we knew they knew where we lived. And we were scared. I was really scared. So what do you do? Well, you, you, you get people to pray. You know, you think about who do we know who really knows how to pray. And we called them and we started praying with them. And I was supposed to speak that evening. And we felt a peace from the Lord that I should not cancel. I should still go. So Joy and I left my pregnant wife and my my little son at home, and I went. Now, I need to explain a little architecture for this story. Those of you who have ever been to Eastern Europe or Russia know they have these great, big, large, ugly apartment buildings, um, of which we lived on the fourth floor. Um, and in front of our door was, you know, not even a mat, just cement going up to our door. Downstairs, to get in, was this little keypad and there were six buttons you had to push three at the same time to unlock the door, which is kind of silly because there are the three in every house that are rubbed off, and, you know, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's obvious. If you go, you didn't really ever need to ask someone the code in the apartment. But I came home that night, and there was a German shepherd sleeping in front of my door. Somehow that dog had waited till someone opened the door, had come up, come up three flights of stairs, not two, not four, not five, not six, come to our floor, and of all the doors on our floor, other people even had mats. We didn't even have a mat, just slept there on the floor. I stepped over him and went in. He slept there all night. The next morning, he left. The next night, he came back again. 
And, you know, when the calls stopped coming, we never saw the dog again. I don't know how to explain that. We called him Angel. But it gave me such confidence that the Lord was looking out for us to protect us in what we were doing. And it was a direct result of your prayers. So what we are seeing happen around the world as the gospel is going forth to the ends of the earth, it's there. Now, I do want to take, so it's an encouragement to pray, um, and I'll never forget that. Is that a sign I'm supposed to stop? Is that, how, is that what they do, Craig? <laughs> they turn the lights off? Our Lord wants everyone to hear about how much he loves them. To the ends of the earth and everywhere in between. Sometimes those people he once reached that have not heard of him are in the next cubicle over from you at work. Or maybe they're your next door neighbors. Or down the block. Or someone you see when you go to a certain store or a a place to work out. This is not, the Great Commission is not a call for a small handful of professional missionaries. It is why the privilege the Lord has given each and every one of us as believers to reflect, to let that light that's in us shine forth so that everyone can know. From our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, everywhere in between. So I would ask you to pray for us. People often ask how to pray for us, and I thank you for that. And we do need prayer But who I really ask you to pray for, pray for Alice in that Middle Eastern city. Pray for Natasha in Russia. Pray for Katume in Kenya. Pray for Ping Chu in Taiwan. You know, Santiago in Quito. I tell people what I do is easy. Teachers who stand up in a classroom trying to share the love of Christ to their students and the parents and their faculty members every day, they're the ones we need to pray for because they are changing the world. So, privileged to be here. Thank you very much. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for my family here, for my friends, for our brothers and sisters in Christ. What a privilege it is to partner together Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that you've given to us so that your light can shine forth from us. Father, I pray that you would help each one of us lovingly, sensitively, wisely, but boldly proclaim your love to everyone so that all can know you. In Christ's name, amen.